from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023. Thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Getting set for today's practice, the Players Club. Powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning. All electric and built Ford Tough. I'm the new fool in town and my sound's laid down by the underground. I drink a ball of Hennessy you got on your shelf. So just let me introduce myself. My this is the Players Club. Live from training camp. Yes, that's right. We're here at training camp 2023. DenverSports.com zone. We are across from Centura Health Training Center here uh, in Dove Valley. Training camp 2023 is on the air right now thanks to Ting Internet. Yeah, if you live in Centennial, make Ting your lightspeed internet provider for as low as $89 a month. Go to ting.com slash centennial for more info. Uh, it's a where you at Wednesday, and where where we at is, like I said, right here across from training camp. Where are you guys at? And, and how is your excitement level right now for training camp and the Denver Broncos 2023? Chad Brown, not here with us today, but he's going to be at practice. So he'll check in with us in the 1130 hour, let us know what he's seeing. Um, but I'm here with Orlando Franklin. And Orlando, how are you doing on this beautiful, beautiful morning in Centennial? I'm doing great, Nate. You know, got up this morning, got a nice little workout in. And then just got to sit down and decompress and hang out with myself, man. I, I love those mornings that start off slow, just calm before the chaos starts when the kids get up. So uh, chaos started around 7.30 when they woke up, but okay. we just got them through the door at 8.30, so a nice little hour of it. And now here, right, just nice quick little ride up the street. Woo. And I just constantly think about how great I feel right now mm. and how bad probably a lot of these guys feel across the street like you remember that no matter what yeah that even though we don't play football anymore I, I'm, I, I'm like okay day seven right now it's like the third day of pads like i remember yeah. like the soreness is starting to peak yeah right? like yeah. you're waking up like how the hell am i gonna get through today yeah like what do you mean i gotta go do this but this is kind of where you first start callousing that body right, right. and that right. mindset starts kicking in where hey you gotta grind this thing out and i'm not gonna feel 100 percent, but i gotta go out here and work through some things on a day-to-day basis well it's funny because i was on the drive with D-Mac yesterday and he was and him not just D-Mac but I think Andrew and a couple other folks there were talking about how it was just sluggish it was kind of blah and it was like I was like man yeah that's what training camps like sometimes like I don't know if you guys are expecting to see fireworks necessarily and you do want to see some some big plays and stuff like that but isn't training camp sort of a a, a, a slog through the mud the moguls don't get it <laughs> you know, I know we are moguls now but the guys that never played the game don't get it because yesterday, that's fully expected. It, you put on pads two days ago for the first time, right, on Monday that you've had pads on since early um, January, yeah. a lot of these guys, right? Yeah. And even, like, the rookies, yeah, they might have had pads on in their respective areas where they were working out, but it's still now going against these grown-ass men, right, and the tempo's different. So that first day, yeah, it's expected that the defense wins, the second day is expected that the whole entire team should look a little sluggish. It's like the first day, does you're not going to look as good as the first day out there. And that's kind of just the back-and-forth, push-pull nature of training camp that's to be expected because guys' bodies are, are getting sore and it is getting beat up. They are trying to figure some things out. And a lot of these guys, oh, they were just a part of training camp last year. 
right, where the mindset completely shifted, where it was a lot easier. So now it's about, you know, each and every day stacking days. You're not trying to peak yesterday. Right. You're not trying to peak today. You're trying to now go through this thing and find a way to peak towards, what would you say, the middle towards the end of August? That's when kind of every day now should look alike and right. the soreness shouldn't really matter and yep. things like that. Yep, the soreness is gone after a couple of weeks and then the precision on offense in particular where, you know, Sean Payton was talking yesterday about Brandon Johnson and how he's impressed him. But there's, this, you know, every once in a while he lines up two yards too far outside or, you know, his alignment is messed up and he can't be a mistake repeater and they got to go in the meeting room and fix that and, and then go back on, on the field and, and determine whether these guys make the same mistake over and over. That's where they're at right now. Trying to assess if these guys have it mentally, can be relied upon to line up right. You know, when you're talking about wide receivers and these concepts in this pretty intricate offense, or at least so I'm told, I don't really, I've never played for this offense, but I heard Joel Klatt talking this morning about it and how it's a hybrid West Coast. And you know how the West Coast, it's very specific. It's mm-hmm. very detail-oriented. It's not just go out there and play. You know, it's it. This is exactly where you have to be. Not one yard inside, not one yard outside, not a half yard outside of that. Because everywhere you align is based on the other alignments of the other guys and where they're trying to be. So there's a lot of coaching and teaching going on with this offense. The offensive line had a a, a tough day yesterday, and we're going to get into that. And, and basically, why did that happen? Is it because they're not good, or or are there reasons why at the beginning of camp the defensive line has the advantage? But before we get into that. 48 hours after Tim Patrick's Achilles tear. I just want, you know, um, to talk about that real quick because Sean Payton yesterday led off with confirmation of what was already basically known about Tim Patrick. Here's Sean Payton. Yes, he's he's got an Achilles tear. Um, Spoke to him last night. You know, of course, he's disappointed. Um, You know, my understanding was a year ago almost to the day. I think the hard thing, and I said it yesterday, is for a player that's spent most of his offseason rehabbing, and all of a sudden to hit another roadblock. Um, he sounded better last night. He's tough-minded. Um, he's a real good leader. And uh, the good news is uh, it's, it's a clean injury and in that is a, you know, better than likely 100% recovery. It, it's, it's pretty clean relative to the type of surgery he's going to have. I don't have a date yet when that's going to take place. Better than likely 100% recovery. Um, with an Achilles tear like that. So that's a good that's good news there. Obviously, Sean Payton, not a doctor. But some of our cohorts here on these airwaves um, are split on, on how this affects the team. Some folks think it's a huge loss, Tim Patrick not being on the field. Some folks heard Cecil talking about it at length. Not a big deal. Not mm-hmm. a huge deal. This is supposed to be a running team, and the number three receiver, this was Cecil's argument, the number three on receiver on a running team, really not that valuable. Yeah. Um... I think Tim Patrick is, is, if not the best blocker at the wide receiver position on this football team, he's, he's number two when healthy, right? So when you want to run the ball, anytime you lose a person that's willing to stick his nose in there, willing to bring that physicality in that run game, put his body in the way, whatever it takes for this football team, that's going to be a big blow to the football team. Um, as far as it mattering, I, I, I look at it 50-50, honestly, Nate. Yeah, it matters because there are a lot of people that respect Tim Patrick in that locker room that wanted it for him, wanted to see him have the opportunity to succeed. Tim Patrick wanted to go out there and and prove that he could still play this game of football. But at the same time, there's another 50% of that football team right now where the harsh reality is just setting in and 
You did it last year without him. He hasn't been out here for over 365 days, right? So when you're not available, unfortunately, in the game of football, you get forgotten about. And that's just a harsh reality. It doesn't matter if you are the kicker all the way to the quarterback. If you are unavailable, you're, you're unavailable. You're no longer a part of that football team. And now Tim Patrick's unavailable for two straight years. You just feel for him as, as a man, um, as a human being who's put his heart into this. And, you know, Sean Payton hasn't known him for very long at all. And he had those nice things to say about him as a leader and as a player. So uh, hopefully Timmy gets back. But I don't know. I, I would have thought Cecil Lammy would know better than to dismiss a receiver who's the best rece- blocking receiver in that room when you're trying to establish a running culture here. You, you find me a, a team, Cecil. That's a running team that has success running the football that doesn't have a buy-in from the wide receivers as run blockers. And if you tell me that Jerry Judy has done that, show me the tape. Show me the tape that Corland Sutton has committed himself to the running game. I haven't seen it. Tim Patrick was the standard in that room for run blocking as a receiver. They're going to miss that a lot. And uh, they're going to have they, they have to find somebody to set the tone in the running game in that receiver room. And if not, they're going to be missing a lot of yards. Guys, if you're out of camp, Come stop by the denversports.com zone, grab a bottle of water, thanks to our friends at Gravinas. All right, Russell had some struggles yesterday, but uh, it wasn't all his fault. The offensive line had its struggles as well. Orlando, I'm going to ask you, what, what what do we attribute those struggles to? Just the beginning of camp, um, or are they cause for concern? That's next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. (laughs) Oh, wow. Beautiful day here. Denver Broncos training camp. We're here at the DenverSports.com zone right across the street from Centura Training Center in Dove Valley in the Car starting to line up. The fans starting to get here. Practice starting in about 45 minutes. Um, and I was out there at practice yesterday, Orlando. And look, Russell was sacked 55 times last year. Okay, and there were some holes in that offensive line and some injuries last year, and you know maybe some coaching question marks when it came to that unit. Um, there's a lot different now. Yeah. They, they've signed a couple big name offensive linemen in the offseason. They have obviously an all new coaching staff and and a, a new Russell. We're told. So this should look a lot different. Um, but yesterday, defensive line were in the backfield all day long, and Russell was, was sort of running for his life again or at least having to duck a lot of pressure. And um, Mike McGlinchey was beat a couple times by Nick Benito. Now, the defense does have an advantage at the beginning of training camp. But when as an offensive lineman, is that a big deal or is that no deal at all that you guys got whooped yesterday on the field? Um, I think it's a big deal for this football team because, you know, this is a this is a different training camp than it was last year, Nate. Sean Payton came in and he said, hey, we're going to do one-on-ones. Uh, when I was out there on Monday, I watched them do one-on-ones, right? I assumed that yesterday that they did one-on-ones at some point as well. I wasn't out there yesterday. We were over here, you know, we, we were over here taking care of the show. It was your day to attend training camp, but I assume that one-on-ones were done. Now, when you bring it to team drills and 
there's all the motion, all the window dressing, and now these defensive linemen and edge rushers don't know if you're one-on-one, if you're sliding the protection to you, and guys are not able to go out there and win their one-on-one battles, I think it's a huge deal, even at this time with training camp, because you should be able to kind of camouflage some of your flaws. If you're not a good one-on-one player, when you bring it up to team, a veteran like Mike McGlinchey should understand leverage, understand exactly the the whole entire play call, where his help is, because there's always going to be a little bit of help on each and every play, whether it's snap count, whether it's sliding the protection, the fact that a back might be chipping, a uh, tight end might be chipping on his way out. So for me, uh, I just constantly look at this where there are things that are big deals, there are things that are not big deals, but I would say the offensive line struggling in their one-on-one battles when you go to team, big deal. And you just talked about Mike McGlinchey. Well, did we not read the scouting report on Mike McGlinchey? He's going to jump offside. He, he, he did does that. Yeah. Is that a big deal? Absolutely. That's snap count. That's you, just that practice when you're just trying to figure it, it out. That's paying attention to the whole entire thing. You know when the ball is going to be snapped. You yeah. were working on. You've been working on this snap count since early April when you showed up in OTAs. So absolutely a big deal. But that's a part of Mike McGlinchey's scouting report that he's going to jump offside, and that as as well as the fact that he's a taller guy that he's going to be worried about the bull rush because he plays with taller pad level. So guys that have a lot of movement are able to kind of get him off balance. Yesterday I heard about the spin move that Nick Medino hit him with. Looked mm. like the white Freeney out there, <laughs> right? That's what people are comparing it to. Right. Well, Mike McGlinchey struggles with things like that because as long as you have the ability to kind of set him up the right way, make it look like you're kind of going speed to power, he will sit on that bull rush and stop his feet. And now if you can transition to a spin move like Nick Benino did yesterday, man, you're going to be able to have your cake and eat it too. So you know how it is when you're when you're practicing against your buddies every day, right? Like, once you get to know them as players, you start to understand their moves better. You start to be more prepared for what they're going to do out there. Mike McGlinchey's never really practiced in pads against any of these dudes. So do you think some of his struggles yesterday have to do with the, the fact that he just doesn't know these guys well yet? Um, is he going to go back to the drawing board and go back to these meeting rooms and then Zach Street's going to sit him down? And he's going to start to get to know Nick Benito better and these players better and come out and look better on a day-to-day basis. Well, absolutely, there's a, a part of it that that does happen. But at the same time, like I said, read the scouting report. This guy's a, a, a habitual offender when it comes to jumping off sides, when it comes to not staying inside out or trying to sit on the bull rush. So you can look at the, some of the best offensive linemen. It doesn't matter who you go against. It's a technique, right? As an offensive lineman, I want to stay inside out of the defender that I'm playing against every single time, especially if I'm at the offensive tackle position. It's everything is calm. It's not a lot of wasted movement. It's not all jiggly up top. You're staying tight and compact. And all you're doing is you're calm and under control, making sure that you stay halfway inside the guy. And now it's about your hands. With Mike McGlinchey, he tends to get a little bit out of control at sometimes because he's worried about the speed, mm-hmm. right? So yesterday was a perfect, like if I'm Nick Benito, I'm looking at Mike McGlinchey and I'm saying, man, not only did I get this yesterday, I could have this a week from now. I could have this two weeks from now because this is something that this guy has struggled with his whole entire career. When you talk about jumping offside as a as an offensive lineman, like so, there's so many things to think about on a football play. You're in the huddle; they give you the they give you the the, the you know the, the 
obviously it's a different personnel group every play. Not for offensive linemen typically. You got your five dudes, and they're always you know your guys are always joined at the hip. But there's the formation, there's the motion. If there's a motion, there's the protection. There's there's the actual play. Then there's the snap count. There's a lot to think about. Uh, you know, I remember being a wide receiver. And going out there, and every once in a while, a wide receiver jumps off sides. And they say, the wide receiver should never jump off sides. You should be looking at the ball. Yeah, that's good in theory because you can see the ball. But you also have defenders who are trying to disguise their coverage and are shifting. So you're also, as a receiver, you're watching that coverage. You're watching your triangle, that corner, that safety. So people who say a receiver should never jump off sides because they're watching the ball, that sounds good. Sometimes you're looking at the defense, and you are trusting your ear to hear that snap count. Have you ever jumped off side in the game? Absolutely. And so, like, what, what what caused that? Were you thinking too much about your assignment? Were you worried about this particular defensive player? Did you just forget it? Was it on two and you just were used to it being on one? Mm-hmm. Because there's this thing where, you know, if, if in the off season in minicamp all you do is go on one, and then all of a sudden in training camp you, you start practicing on two and on three, guys aren't really used to that. And so the first, you know, a coach will be like, all right, we're going on two a lot today, guys. And you're used to just going on one. Blue 22, blue 22. Is it hot? Mm-hmm. But you got to hold your water. So, as an offensive lineman, what goes through your head when you jump? Yeah, so everybody sits here, and um, we, we, we know what Omaha Productions is. and Omaha! Yeah, um, but that started back when Peyton was here, right? Uh, Omaha Sahut, right? And all Omaha meant was we were getting ready to snap the ball. So, I remember in 2013, when we had that year of you know high-scoring offense in NFL history, I remember being out there in Houston, and... On, on one particular drive, I, I jumped off sides. And I jumped off sides because I was a little bit early on on it. So, and the ref called it, but it was splitting hairs. And obviously, I'm frustrated to get back in the huddle. It's not a big deal. We've moved on. But two plays later now, we are at the line of scrimmage. Peyton gets in. He's doing his thing. He's talking to the wide receivers. He's talking to the tight ends. He says, Omaha. And I go. Like, when I hear Omaha, as soon as I hear, like, I'm going. Because that's how fast it is, right? So it's not, I'm not waiting for set hut. I'm waiting for set. Like, I'm waiting to hear that S, right? But when Peyton said Omaha, he immediately said, Omaha, easy. And, and now he wanted us to slow down because he saw something else. He wanted mm-hmm. to check. So I went, right? And immediately, now they're offside penalty. They absolutely embarrassed me out there. Oh, yeah. Come on. Oh, what the hell are you doing? Oh. Get your head in the game. Oh. Right? And I had a teammate, an old teammate of mine that I played college football with that was the middle linebacker for the Houston Texans, Daryl Sharpton. And Daryl starts mocking Peyton. And, Come on. Oh, man. <laughs> Get your head in the game. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, and I literally, like, grabbed D-Money. And we used to call him D-Money. I grabbed him by the face mask. I said, get out of my face, right? And he's, like, laughing <laughs> about it. Where I'm pissed off now because this is my second offsides. Okay. Right? Second offsides in about three plays. Mm. So there are many different reasons why it could happen. But um, you, you got to make sure that you're dialed in. Right now, it, it should not be happening because I would imagine that the play calling and the snap count is very vanilla. You're either going on first sound, second color, um, on one or on two right now. You have four different snap counts. And typically you work those four different snap counts since April. You're not getting into your exotic snap count type stuff at this point of training camp. Now, maybe later on down the road, but not yet. I remember one time... Uh when Jake Plummer was our quarterback and we were working on just like hard count stuff, just uh, hold your water. Don't don't snap it no matter what. And he mm-hmm. was uh, he was understanding. He's like, Blue 22. 
Boo 22 said, hot, 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 hot. And uh, just joking around, having a good time. But you have to hold your water. That's a common phrase. You have to be thinking about the snap count when you have a million other things going through your head. And these guys, they're first. They're just learning this system for the very first time. Um, and so what Shani, Shanahan used to do is if you jump offside during practice, they write your number down. At the end of practice, they call those guys up and you have to run. Um, but these guys are running every day, so it's a little different. There's no punishment for running. Everyone's just running anyway. So that's part of Sean Payton's training camp. They're conditioning every single day. Guys, we are live here from training camp 2023 in the denversports.com zone. Thanks to our friends from Con Construction, Colorado owned and family operated commercial general contracting for over 30 years along the front range. Conconstruction.com. That's con with a K. All right. Uh, our very own nine news Broncos insider, Mike Kliss is going to join us next, and he's got some news on Yomo Wazirike's uh, gambling suspension, and wow, the details are spicy. Mike Kliss joins us next. Live from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023, thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Getting set for today's practice, the Players Club, powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning, all electric and built Ford Tough. Welcome back to the Players Club. We are here at the DenverSports.com zone across from... Look at Rock and Roll Brian strumming his, uh, his air guitar there. Are you, you a fan of Allison Chains or just rock? Rock and Roll Brian. How'd, how'd you get that nickname? He doesn't know. But he's got a, he's got a, a bucket of coffee in his hand. <laughs> he's been here since four. So we love you, Brian. Um, all right. So, look, I was just checking out the details of this Ayoma Owazirike, um basically arrest. And it's pretty, it's pretty spicy stuff. Um, originally, we were all talking about whether or not it was an, a, a, an excessive punishment, an entire season. Couldn't be back in the facility um, until July 24th of 2024. And we all thought, hey, man, that's a little bit heavy-handed here. Um, not so fast. The, the reports are, are pretty, pretty exclamatory, inflammatory. This dude bet on 32 different NFL games. <laughs> he bet on week one against the Seattle Seahawks. He bet on week two against the Houston Texans. He bet on week three against the San Francisco 49ers. We're efforting getting Mike Kliss on, but your initial reaction to just the kind of the extensive nature of this guy's betting habit. He has a problem. Um, no matter what, it kind of really didn't matter what the NFL came in there and said to the, the Denver Broncos and just all these different football teams, right? It didn't matter what video they sent out. It looks like this young man, for whatever reason, gambling is instilled in him, um, and he just has a problem. For him to be doing it right out the gate week one, you know, it, it's just not, not a good sign. All right, we got Mike Kliss right now. Mike Kliss joins us, our 9 News Insider on the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. Mike, can you tell us any more about Yomo Owazirike's uh, gambling suspension? We heard that he was betting on Broncos games. Do we know which way he was betting? Don't know which way he was betting. Um, it, was, uh, it was 32 wagers on uh, Broncos games, and um, it, was, it was over five games. 
uh, two of which he played in, um, which was the Kansas City game at home in December, and then the following week against Arizona in December. Uh, Broncos were, uh, I think they were decent home underdogs against the Chiefs, and they were down 27 nothing. They wound up winning 34-28. And then um, uh, they had, uh, they did beat Arizona, so I don't know. The other thing is, you know, the sounds like there were some prop bets on individuals, and, you know, were any of those negative? You know, like, uh, uh, you know, just uh, if, if a receiver, I'm using this as Russell an example, Wilson under saying, Like Russell Wilson under 180 yards. Because yeah, something like that. Yeah. You know, Russell's banged up or something, you know. And so um, the Broncos are aware, and they didn't cut them, which um, surprises me in light of this. And um, so maybe they know. I, I mean, I, I would assume if he was betting in a negative fashion against the Broncos, he would be cut. Mm. You know, you, you, you can't keep that guy around. You can't trust him. Well, Mike, like um, it or not, Mike, it's 32. They, the fact that they haven't cut him, maybe everything was positive. I don't know. I'm just speculating on that. <laughs> okay, Mike, so like it or not, it's 32 different bets. So for me, like, I'm kind of blown away with the timing of everything, right? We, we a couple months ago, they talked about other players in the National Football League, and it came out, and then I think it was like six or eight players that came out all together. Right? Why would this young man, how do you say his last name? Iwazirike. Iwazirike, right? 32 bets, Mike. Why didn't this come out months ago? Why did this just come out like last week before training camp started? What's going on with the NFL in your opinion? Well, I'm not sure the, the chronology of this. You know, I don't know if he got caught up in the Iowa State probe, Iowa criminal investigation probe, and they alerted the NFL because, you, you know, it's, First of all, the criminal uh, probe is all Iowa State. It's four Iowa State players. And maybe uh, Uazarike uh, got caught up in that, and then they, they kept looking at his phone, and, and oh, by the way, he's still betting on NFL games. And oh, by the way, he's still betting on Bronco games. And they alert the NFL during their probe. But I don't know, uh, I don't know what, you know, what, which, if it was a cart before the horse or, uh, you know, I'm not sure how it all uh, started. Maybe it was you, Uazarike that led to the Iowa State players getting caught up in the probe. You know, I'm not sure what the what the chronology was as far as when this um, when this all began. So that's that's definitely a question for sure. All right, let's shift gears to the football field and training camp here 2023 with the Denver Broncos who are eligible to play. Um, you know, discerning minds can disagree on what they've been seeing out there. Uh, in your opinion, Mike, is the defense looking really good or is the offense looking really bad or is it a combination of both? Uh, yeah, I mean, the offense makes some plays. Uh, yesterday in nine on seven, there wasn't much uh, Javante Williams stuff. Definitely hasn't had much running room. I mean, it's hard to tell how much Devontae is back because he's been getting stacked. Yesterday, for sure, he just got stacked up in 9-on-7 and the 11-on-11. Russ threw a pick right away to Justin Simmons. Uh, It was a pass over the middle. looked like Justin Simmons got such a big, clean break on it that uh, he might have scored, you know, on on the play. So, 
Um, you know, it is a new offense with Sean Payton. I mean, I don't think it should be running on all cylinders uh, here on uh, on August 1st as it was yesterday. Um, you know, the important thing is that it's running much better than it has looked on September 10th against the Raiders. I, uh, you know, I've o- always uh, thought that we, uh, you know, over-evaluated uh, practices and, and training camp. I mean, you have to. You have to decide who your roster is and those kind of things. But it's not necessarily indicative. And I'll give you an example. Even in the uh, even in those uh, uh, joint scrimmage with the Cowboys last year, the uh, Broncos' offense looked great. I mean, they they were very good against the Dallas Cowboys' defense. And look what happened during the season. The Broncos were five and twelve and had the number thirty-two ranked offense, and the Cowboys wound up, uh, you know, I think thirteen and, and four, something like that, yeah. and made the playoffs and won a playoff game. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's uh, I, the, the the real accurate uh, answer is it's too early to really tell, but yeah, the defense is ahead of the offense right now. Mike, when I look at the game of football offensively, it's always going to be offensively. I don't have, I don't put on my defensive goggles. Um, your offensive line, day one, pass pro, it, it, it should look pretty decent in the, in the NFL level. Uh, the run game is something that you have to work towards. And it's kind of opposite when you look at now these skill positions where those guys are on top of it in the run game day one. Because, you know, it's push-crack and it's the assignment is very simple. Where now the passing game is something that they have to develop upon, right? So you have two different groups, essentially, on your football team offensively that are working towards meeting in the middle. But as far as when they both start off day one, it's opposite as, as far as what their strengths are. So pass game for the offensive line is a strength day one where the run game, you got to develop that continuity. And with the passing game, it, the as far as the guys that are involved in the pass game, the run game is the strength come day one where they have to develop that continuity in the passing game with Russell Wilson. So with that being said that you got kind of working from this backwards, how long does it should it take for this offense to look like, yeah, you know what, they are rolling. Is that like a two-week span? Is that a three-week span? Is that, you know, you just want to put it all together right before week one against the Las Vegas Raiders? Yeah, I I, uh, I mean, really, it's all that matters is week one against the Los Angeles or Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, uh, that's, that's, uh, that, is the, uh, that is the only time it matters. Yeah. Um, at, at the same time, you know, do you worry? You know, uh, everything's on Russ, right, and, and Sean Payton, how that marriage is going to work. You know, I think looking back, um, there was concern about Russell Wilson and OTAs last year um, with the Hackett offense. And uh, that turned out to be true, you know, as, as the season went along. I do think um, – you know, as far as all that blocking scheme you're talking about, um, you know, I, I, you know, McGlinchey yesterday I thought had a had a uh, had a tough day. Looked rusty. You know, he was out three days. He um, 
he was, uh, you know, he had the uh, uh, death in the family, a very close family friend. And, um, you know, I think, and meanwhile, all these guys are just ramping up. Nick Benito, Jonathan Cooper. Jonathan Cooper, by the way, is has looked unblockable at times so far in camp. He's really off to a great start. So is Benito. Um, but, um, you know, I, I just, again, guys, I don't know what the timing is. Um, we're going to overanalyze everything we see right here in August, and it's still too early. August uh, August 30th will be too early because you're playing on September 10th. We'll see how it all comes together. We don't know Sean Payton and, and how he brings along an offense. We're all learning him. We're learning Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. Um all I can say, guys, is is it's going to be better than last year, which <laughs> uh, is, which says nothing. But um, I think it's going to be a little bit better this year. The question is, how much better? All right, it better be, Mike. We appreciate you joining us, buddy. Get out there right. and uh, do what you do. Thanks, Mike. Overanalyze again. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, yeah. keep, see you guys. Keep, yep, keep us honest, Mike. We appreciate you. There he goes, Mike Kliss, 9 News Broncos Insider on the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. This broadcast that, that you're hearing right now from Training Camp 2023 is powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning, all electric and built for tough. All right, what about that offensive line and the struggles of Mike McGlinchey and the rest of those fellas trying to protect Russell Wilson? Is that a big deal or not? We're going to continue diving into the offensive line. That's next. Live from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023. Thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Getting set for today's practice. The Players Club. Powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning. All electric and built for tough. Rock and roll Brian likes this one too. Play that air guitar, man. Guzzle that gallon, well, that, like that 10-gallon bucket of coffee with a handle, these guys. Guys, we are here live from Training Camp 2023 in the DenverSports.com zone. Thanks to our friends from Randy Ross Tennis Center. Um, been gracious enough to uh, let us use this area, and um, we are rocking it here. Orlando. Before we get into kind of some, um, you know, we're going to hear from Garrett Bowles talking about this camp and Sean Payton and stuff like that. But after a day like yesterday, when we talk about, like, if you're a tackle and you got beat a couple times, did you sleep well at night? Are you pissed off? Are you trying to go out there and, and, and get retribution from your play yesterday? Or are you putting that away and focusing on today? Yeah, well, Nate, back in the day when we were at training camp, it was a completely different animal, right? I mean, they really accounted for all of our time but about nine hours. And that they took into <laughs> yeah. a, a, a account of 15 minutes to the hotel, 15 minutes back, and about 30 minutes of downtime when you're in that bed before you get to sleep. So I always slept okay in training camp. I'm not going to lie because I was just absolutely spent after right. walking out that building. Uh, now it's a little bit different as far as how they created the schedule. And I, and I can imagine what 
with a little bit more time on your hand when you are getting chewed out in meetings and the coaches are getting after your butt because you, it wasn't a successful day, then now you're, the mind's wondering a little bit. So you might not sleep just as comfortable as possible like you normally do had you not had a, tr- a bad practice like some of these guys did yesterday. What kind of coaching style did you respond to? Because, hey, 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 yeah, honk it up, bro. Um, so Zach Streif is a first-year coach. He was, a, he was a player. Yeah. Right? Um, you probably did you have some kind of old school offensive line coaches at some point who would like, you know, um, you know, dog cuss you and yell at you? Like Zach Street doesn't seem like the guy who's gonna be in the room yelling yeah. at dudes. Um well how for, would you respond to that? Uh for me, I think the best coach is the coach that understands is about fifteen inches from the middle of your back to the middle of your butt. So, you know, um when you do something right, you go out there and dominate, give that guy a pat on the back. Love him up, let him know that he did a good job. But when he messes something up, go down 15 inches and kick him in his butt. Get after him, right? Th- these are grown men. This is your profession. This is how you make a living. You, you cannot be out there and be – you cannot be a sensitive person in a football locker room. That's for sure. That's right. So I think the best style of coaching is just understanding, okay, when a person – like recognizing when they do do something right – and whether that's your starting left tackle or the third string left tackle or recognizing when they do something wrong as well, the same exact thing. Like treating these guys the same will go very far with your position group. Yeah, you got to have thick skin being over there because everything you're doing on the field is being videotaped. Then you go into the uh, meeting room and you'll watch that videotape after the coaches have watched it themselves and made all the notes about where you screwed up and where you got to be better. And they come into those meetings armed with those notes and they let you know. Where you messed up. The meetings aren't to tell you, hey, good job, man. You're doing a great job out there. Nope, it's to tell you where you screwed up and how to get it right. Um, okay, we have a, we talk about this a lot. We have a question on the RamosLaw.com text line. Guys, would you explain what a nine on seven drill is? Mm-hmm. Orlando, could you explain to our, our listeners, in case they don't know what nine on seven is and why it's important to a football practice? Okay, so yeah, nine on seven is what? The offensive players, there's nine guys, right? You get the offensive line out there. That's five uh, quarterback, uh, running back, right? I mean, so that's seven. And then you'll have, you could a throw tight a tight end, end or, or two in there. You might have a specific play where you might bring a wide receiver down because now on his assignment, he might have that linebacker, right? And the seven part comes from the defensive front seven, right? And so, you know, the Broncos play a base 3-4 structure where they have three defensive linemen and, and four linebackers. So the Broncos are going to have their, their four the three down defensive linemen, the two outside linebackers, and Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton out there out the ball. And this is a run-specific drill. This is all about getting after it. It's about physicality. It's about coming downhill. There is not a lot of dancing around because typically they won't put a lot of receivers in this drill. So you don't want to really run outside. You're running through the tackle box. It's, you know, put your chin strap up, and it's, you know, I'm going to move you backwards or you're going to move me backwards. But somebody's going to win this rep every single time. Yeah, and you're putting on the pads for that. It's a physical period. Like O said, there's no receivers. Um, the receivers are over on a different field doing one-on-ones against the DBs while the big boys do nine-on-seven. It Did is you a guys re- not bring down receivers every once in a while? Like for We like- would very, very rarely do that. Okay. Yeah, it was it, the receivers were not around for that. Um, and, and for that reason, the defense knows that there's no threat of pass. They know that there's no threat of play-action pass. It's a running drill. Everyone knows it. And so it's a very physical drill. But that's how you prepare to run the football in a football game. It's more advantage. You know, when you do nine-on-seven, 
I love nine on seven, but coincidentally enough, I hate one on ones. All right, one on ones is more tailored to the defensive side of the ball, but they know it's all pass. They know that you're not getting help. It's one on one. Then you go to nine on seven, and now defensive guys hate it because one, it's nine versus seven. It's already a <laughs> right. mismatch, right. but also two, like. When you're doing these double teams, that's 600 versus 300, yeah. right? You yeah. put a, a tackle and a guard to double team a three technique, that's a mismatch. And, and, you know, you're hoping that that linebacker comes downhill and shows as fast as possible if you're that defensive lineman. So right. it's so unique where you have certain drills where it's more tailored to offensive players and the offensive players love it versus other drills where it's more tailored to defensive players and they love it. Yeah, the the combo blocks are a big part of the zone blocking scheme, right? So you do you, you do two guys on one guy, and you subdue that guy, and then you know a linebacker shows, and and one guy leaves that double team block and goes and gets the linebacker. That's where the communication is very important um, in the zone blocking scheme. All right, Garrett Bowles spoke after practice yesterday um, and said it may take a little bit of time before things start to gel. Um, camp's great. Um, I'm excited for the season. I'm excited for what we're doing. You know, one day at a time. Um, and um, I'm just, like I said, man, I think everything's going to start to gel here pretty soon, and we're going to get, you know, hit the ground running here in the next couple of weeks. Garrett Bowles not overreacting to a couple uh, uh, bad days. Do you think that Garrett Bowles and Mike McGlinchey are the best tackle duo in the NFL? Then they got a shot. You know, they definitely got a shot in the Sean Payton's offense that's going to get the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands quick. You know, I think they definitely have a shot. I was a, a teammate of Ryan Clady's, and, and Ryan talks about, you know, being a pro bowler his, his rookie year in the NFL, but he says that he couldn't do it by himself. He says that Jay Cutler bailed him out about five or six sacks by just getting the ball out of his hands quick. Mm. So, you know, with Sean Payton's offense, design, designing it up to try to get Russell Wilson either on the perimeter or the ball out of his hands quick, you might be able to get bailed out a sack or two if you're Mike McGlinchey or Garrett Bowles. So everything's not going to be perfect. This is the NFL. Those guys do get paid, too. You know, you are going to get beat every once in a while. You hope that when you do get beat that it doesn't hurt the football team in a situation and, and now your teammate could pick up the slack where Russ could get rid of the ball. But I definitely think that this duo possibly has a shot at becoming one of the better tackle duos in the National Football League this year. Garrett Bowles also had an offsides penalty yesterday. Um, I, I do want to stress, though, it is very common to see the offense struggle at the beginning of training camp compared to the defense for a variety of reasons. Especially a new offense with a new scheme, a new coach who's putting in a new language that these guys are trying to learn, whereas the defense is running a very similar defense to last year, and they get to pin their ears back and just come after you. They don't have a ton of mental stuff to be thinking about in the early um, parts of training camp, and, and the offense does. Garrett Bowles also brought up a big key that Sean Payton has for the offensive line through training camp and the season. Here it is. It's just tempo, man. You know, you guys know the last couple of years, you know, our tempo hasn't been where it needs to be. And so he, you know, his big emphasis is being tempo, get up to the line of scrimmage, see everything, dissect the defense, and then get ready to rock and roll and snap the ball. So, you know, it starts with us up five up front. We got to get to the ball. We got to get set. So, um, so Russ can, you know, dissect off uh, the defense and that we can get ready to rock and roll and get, you know, the ball into our playmakers. So um, that's just the point of emphasis in this training camp. It's probably going to be a whole thing all year long. And, you know, I think every single day we're just going to get better and better at it. That was something you guys stressed in the, in the Peyton Manning era, right? Getting up to the line of scrimmage and getting set so the quarterback, Peyton, could see everything and dial it up. Yeah, um, we, we knew, like, there were certain things in a Peyton Manning offense that you just knew were going to happen, right? You knew that within the first two series of, of the game, 
we were going to go up tempo at some point. We were going to stress the defense. And it was for many different reasons. It could be to not allow the defense to sub, to make that defense get tired, to identify the GOAT, not the good GOAT, to identify the bad GOAT on defense who we're going to attack, um, and just really to, to beat them up. You know, allow the offensive line a opportunity to really take it to, you know, say you, you're playing against a, a Dominican suit. Right. Well, we want to go no huddle to keep him out there on the field, and we might run four double teams at him and just let him know that hey, big boy, it's going to be a long day, right? And another thing that we would know with Peyton was we were going to test that defense within the first five plays of the game by trying to go deep. And if it was there, he would throw it. If it wasn't there, he would. so it was just certain things going into the game that you knew. With this football team now, you know Garrett Bowles talking about tempo. Garrett Bowles talking about getting to the line of scrimmage. We know that this team we. Two last year against the Houston Texans, we had the fan base counting down, right? I mean, that's, that's not tempo. Yeah, yeah, that's not tempo. The plays are not coming in, but also the, this fan base is getting stressed out, and Russell Wilson is getting stressed out because now there's not a lot that you could do at the line of scrimmage, right? When that clock, that play clock is going down, you might see something at the very last minute, and now you cannot communicate that because of just when you got the play. So I love that this is a point of emphasis for these guys because sometimes you could there's just hidden yardage out there where you could just catch a, catch a defense slacking. Or maybe you get a free five yards because you caught them in changing a sub, doing a mass substitution, and, and you get somebody offsides, and, and now you get to take a shot. So I love this type of stuff that this is being emphasized, and it's only, what, day seven coming up today. And the question is, can Russell operate that type of offensive vehicle, the one you're describing, stepping to the line of scrimmage, and everybody on offense has it so dialed in that you're actually paying attention to the defense. What are they doing? Where are they lining up, and where is their weakness? You just described Peyton Manning dissecting the defense in real time and being able to pick on the weak link and and, and pick and choose where they're going to go with the ball. That's what Nathaniel Hackett wanted with Russell Wilson and tried to give him that opportunity last year. He wasn't able to pick it up. Is Sean Payton going to be able to get that out of Russell Wilson, or is well, just, or Russell just not that guy? Bro, we're watching everything out there, right? I mean, and you've been a part of smart offenses with Coach Shannon. You, heck, you're even watching that, that DB, how he gets up. It doesn't look like he's wheezing. Doesn't look like he got his breath knocked out, right? And you're trying to, to look at these little things and, and exploit them. And it, it's so cool once you're in a system and you know it like the back of your hand because everything starts slowing down in real time where now you're able to capitalize as a football team because of it. And when you talk about the, this level of detail, it shows you how far behind you are of the Kansas City Chiefs who've been doing it together for so long. They know each other like the back of their hand. They don't have to speak to communicate. They see the same things on the field, and um, and they just react. And that's what we're trying to get to here with the Denver Broncos, but it takes time, it takes reps, and it takes some patience. We are here live from Training Camp 2023 in the DenverSports.com zone. Thanks to our friends from Con Construction, Con with a K. Colorado-owned and family-operated commercial general contracting for over 30 years along the front range, ConConstruction.com. All right, the defense is... It is good. They look really, really good. Or is it that the offense is bad? Uh, we'll have that discussion next.